Hello, 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 and welcome back to the SLP Corner Podcast. So, I have gotten a lot of emails this week, and um, if you haven't noticed, my, my Instagram has been removed. I have no idea what happened. I tried to log in, and I got a notification saying, please input a code. We've had noticed some suspicious activity on your Instagram page. I got the code to my phone. I put the code into the Instagram app and then it said a notification popped up saying okay thanks we will if we can prove it's you we'll check back with you in around 24 hours it's been four days or yeah I think four days and I haven't heard anything from them I have emailed so many times so many different emails I have sent just I've tried I've I feel like I've tried to do so much to deal with this and I haven't heard back in at all it's honestly feels really really devastating to me because I've worked so hard on this Instagram for it's a year this week and it's just been so much time and effort and I miss the community so much. I love Instagram and I love connecting with everyone on my Instagram. I reached out to Anna DSLP and she is the kindest person ever. She reached out to a bunch of different people and so I saw some people posting. I saw the type BSLP. Um, Abby posted something about my Instagram and Anna posted something about my Instagram. I've been getting so many emails from you guys and I really appreciate all the support and everyone offering to try and help me. I don't even know how anyone can help me because I don't even know what I should do. I'm not sure if someone tried to hack me or if it was a glitch and Instagram just deleted my account by accident. I have no clue. I feel just, yeah, really, really stressed and worried. Anyways, all this is to say that I wanted to put this out there because I don't want anyone to think that I quit Instagram or some people thought I blocked them and I I didn't block you. I didn't quit Instagram. I'm trying to get it back. If I cannot get it back in a few weeks, I guess I'll just start all over again because I'm not going to stop Instagram for I want to continue SLP Corner on Instagram but I'm gonna try to get it back so I might be off for a few weeks but yeah all this is to say like I I didn't quit it and I will be back in some capacity and I'm really thankful for everyone's support and yeah I mean I guess the main thing is if you think that you have an idea of how I could get it back or a way I could try to recover it or if you've heard this happening this if you heard this has happened to someone else please just email me at shannon at slpcorner.com and let me know. I would really appreciate that. So with that, I am going to introduce our new guest this week and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the SLP Corner podcast. Today's guest is Jessie Kleinman. She is a speech language pathologist based out of Brooklyn, New York. She works in a private specialized school with students with complex needs and a variety of diagnoses including autism, apraxia of speech, auditory processing disorder, language delays, feeding disorders, and more. She also works with students using AAC devices ranging from low-tech to high-tech. In her free time, Jessie supports educators and related service professionals to navigate the world of teletherapy and distance learning. In addition, Jessie has also just started her very own private practice, Vibrant Speech and Language Services. If you want to find out more about Jessie, you can check out her website, vibrantspeechtherapy.com, and her Instagram page, Vibrant Speech Therapy. With that, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, Today we're going to be talking all about AAC and teletherapy. I'm really excited for this topic because first of all, teletherapy was new to me in general. So that was quite the learning curve. And then I started having my first few AAC clients on teletherapy and that was a whole new ball game for me. And I've obviously learned a lot more about that over the weeks and months, but 
there's always more to learn and it's still, I find it to be a bit more challenging. It's just, it's one of those things where I feel like it's so much harder over teletherapy than other things. So yeah, so we're going to be talking all about that today. So first of all, I wanted to ask you how you incorporate student specific AAC during teletherapy. Cool. So just going off what you just said too, I think for everyone, this whole thing was very overwhelming and then to throw that added layer on top of it was just another thing and your mind was just blown because you're like, how am I supposed to do this? I think for me, I had to kind of take a step back and really look at what I wanted to accomplish with my students. And I had to recognize that the goals that I was working on, although I'm still working on them, I'm working on them in a different way. And I talk about this sometimes how, you know, you kind of have to think completely outside of the box. And it's just a different method of doing the same thing that we would be doing in person. But because it's over the computer, and we're so used to being so hands on, it's really hard for us. So what I like to do is have low tech versions of a lot of their uh, devices and softwares. So what I would do is either find it online, or you can have them take a screenshot of it and send it to you. And then you can share it on your end. And then once it's on your end, you can either just share your screen or you can use it as a virtual background and you can physically point to it. I know a lot of people are using green screens, but I like using the virtual backgrounds for core boards and the low tech versions of their software. And then also if you have the software on your iPad, you can screen mirror that and have two screens open at the same time. So that's really what I've been doing. Um, And you can also like, circle, uh, draw a circle or a laser pointer when you're modeling. So even though it's not exactly the same, you're still kind of meeting the same goal for yourself, I guess you could say, while you're doing it. I really like your idea of a virtual background because I'm recently have become obsessed with virtual backgrounds and my little green screen situation. And I, I haven't even considered using that for AAC, even though I use my virtual background the most with my AAC clients. So I don't know why I haven't even considered that. And yeah, I really like the idea of screen, just getting the screenshot, sharing it. And then also, have you tried using CoughDrop, the CoughDrop website? I've, I've used a few times for just creating like a quick kind of AAC situation, depending on what you're working with or if it's a new client or something like that. Right. I don't have too much experience with cough drop in particular, but I definitely have found a lot of core boards online, Um, whether it's on Boom Learning, they have a lot of free interactive ones. Some of my students, unfortunately, didn't have access to their devices in the beginning of this because we couldn't get into the school. So we had to kind of make it work. So Boom Learning has a lot of really good free ones with voice output, actually. So it's kind of similar. And then there are a lot of like just free core board downloads, like Universal Core has a bunch of them with different symbol systems. So there's a lot of like workarounds you could try to figure out if you don't have access to the specific device. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. And then, so what are some ways you incorporate AAC in general during teletherapy sessions? Like just share all your tips and tricks, please. (laughs) Yeah, so I have a lot for this. So the first thing that I kind of went to is YouTube. So Mr. Clay has a great YouTube channel where he does different activities and he puts embedded visuals into the video. So it'll pop up on the side of the screen while you're doing it. And he's modeling the word over and over again and the visuals popping up. It's amazing. And he's super interactive. All of my kids have loved him. It's kind of like 
Dora the Explorer, but with visual supports. And he does a bunch of fun things. Like he sticks things into slime and then you have to find them. And you could have your kids doing something similar at the same time. There's a lot of like carryover activities you could come up with along with his videos. So YouTube, I said this so many times, but YouTube is like one of the biggest resources for this because there are so many visual supports embedded into read alouds or different activities. There's speech therapists that are making videos for free and doing different things, modeling and using different visual symbol systems. So definitely YouTube. Um, and the other big one that I've been using is Boom Learning. So that has been huge for me. Uh, Rachel Madel SLP has some great um, ones with open up. You kind of like have to drag things up or move things around. And Speech Without Limits has a lot of repeated core word practice activities, but really anything on Boom Learning that has embedded visual supports, most of my kids have loved because they're so engaging and they have to interact with it. And then they get the positive feedback pretty much right away. So that's another great thing to think about. AAC Language Lab has a lot of things. You can also do something as basic as find a YouTube video that you know your student likes and work on more play stop and like and just have your core board open if your student really loves thomas the train and you know they're going to want to watch the thomas the train video wait for them to tell you to put it on ask them what what do we do now and just have it open because you know it's going to be motivating for them so the same things like i was saying before the same things that you would do in person let's say you would have a thomas the toy train pick a thomas the train video instead so you really just have to think outside of the box, but there's a lot of resources online. Okay, so the, did you say Mr. Clay? Is it literally Mr. C-L-A-Y? Yes, yes. Okay, I, I have not familiar with that one, but I'm excited to look into that. And then for like, this is just a very specific question, but do you, when you're, when you're doing therapy and you're using the YouTube videos, you're using Boom Learning, do you like split your screen and have half your screen with the screenshot or the core board? Or, or like, do you ever print it off and then hold it up to you and show yourself pointing? Or like, how do you, how do you do that? That's very specific, but. <laughs> no, it's great. So I do do the split screen thing. Uh, I think it's super useful. Something that I do want to say, definitely try to have your student on a tablet or computer. If they're on a phone, you will not be able to see anything, especially if you have a core board open. It's like the tiniest thing ever. Um, but yes, I do have two screens open. So usually I open two windows in Chrome, let's say, and one of them will be the core board and one will be the activity. Some of the activities, because they're embedded, I won't necessarily also use the core board because it's just a lot of visuals at that point and sometimes it can get overwhelming but usually I have both open at the same time. How do you know when they are using their system because this is something I've been running into a lot especially working with parents who aren't speaking English it can be really challenging to know when they're using theirs and kind of that's one of the challenges with the screen it's like I can't be there so how do you work around that? Yeah so for the most part I've also kind of taken a different approach in terms of parent coaching so when I realized that we were going to be doing teletherapy for an extended period of time, I was like, you know what, I really need to change the focus here. Yes, it's obviously still going to be on the student, but a lot of the parents, although they have experience using the devices, not to this extent, and I'm not sure that some of them understand a lot of the concepts that us as speech therapists understand, and it's just common knowledge to us, like aided language stimulation and modeling and wait time. So what I really did was try to spend a lot of time with your parents 
and explain all of these things. They want to know, they want to help, and they want to know the best way to communicate with their child and the best way to help them communicate with you. So I really just tried to explain a lot of those things to them. And I gave a lot of parent handouts. There's a lot of great ones online. Um, AAC coach has a lot of really good ones for parents where she talks about different like natural setting activities and she gives you corn fringe phrases and words that you would use during that activity. And it's all like laid out really well for you. So definitely um, utilize online resources when you're explaining things to parents because there's some already out there so you don't need to reinvent the wheel. But there's also a lot of great YouTube videos with parent trainings. Um, and obviously during your session, devote a few minutes at the beginning or the end to just working with the parent and talking about how they can use the device more efficiently. Yeah, that makes sense. Like that's one thing that I've been realizing with the teletherapy is like, like you said, we're going to have to have a lot more parent coaching since we're not there. I wanted to kind of talk to you more and dive into parents during IAC or during teletherapy sessions with AAC. So do you like to have the parent there for the session the whole time? And like, can we just talk a little bit more about parent involvement? Yeah. So for the most part, I do like to have the parent there. I definitely had to adjust my expectations for what the session was going to look like. And at first, it was really overwhelming. And I was really nervous having the parents there because we're not used to being watched. But once I got used to it, I realized that this is such a great benefit that has come from having to do teletherapy because a lot of my parents haven't had this experience with their child. They haven't had this shared, beautiful interaction that we see as speech therapists as often as we do. And I think it's really important to involve them as much as we can. So I do like to have them there. Something that I will note is definitely try to have your video screen or their video screen, I should say, further down so you can see where their arms are. Because sometimes the parent might be physically prompting or partially physically prompting. And you want to make sure that the student is the one pressing the buttons and not the parent. So definitely while you're talking about the levels of prompting and all those things, make sure they understand that if they're using a physical prompt, that's not the first step necessarily that you want to do because you always want to jump in and help, but really it should be waiting and visuals and all these other things in between. So you're basically teaching them to be little speech therapists, at least for the meantime. So I definitely love having the parents there. And I think they've started to really appreciate the value of what us as speech therapists do. Yeah, it, it is really nice to have that parent involvement and it just helps so much with carryover and generalization and all of that, like so, so, so much. Yeah, I like the tip of like those specific tips of literally like having the monitor pointing or like facing downwards because even I, so often in my sessions, I'm like, I don't know if the child actually did that. Like it's hard when you're trying to track data and see if they're improving. It's like, wait, did they do that? I can't tell. And then it's like, I don't know. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's one tip to try to move that down. Do you find that helps a lot? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were some sessions where I was like, I don't know if my student would be able to do all of those things. I was super impressed. And then I was like, wait a minute. I don't know. So then I asked them to adjust the camera. I just said, I can't see the full screen because I can't really. And that's another thing. You might not be able to see their device you're maybe going to see the case or the back of it uh it depends on how they're sitting and so many other factors but again it's kind of adjusting 
if you can see that their device is in front of them and you see their finger going towards something, hopefully it's them. But yeah, definitely the parent coaching piece is super important for all of these reasons because you don't want them to be over prompting because then when you do return in person, you don't want your students to be prompt dependent and all of these things. So the same way that we would be working with them and trying to reduce the amount of prompts, you want the parents to be doing the same thing because we really don't know how long this is all gonna last. So it really depends. Yeah, I like how you said we're kind of training them to be little speech therapists because that's so funny that you say that because I was podcasting with someone earlier today and they said a similar thing about parent coaching in person. So it's interesting, like it's all very, it's kind of like what you said. It's like, we're doing the same thing. We're just adapting and making a little bit different. And it's so important to teach the parents prompting and things like that we wouldn't almost even think to really explain, but then Once you're on the other side of a screen, it becomes so much more important, you realize. (sighs) Okay, so behavior supports. What are some ways you implement behavior supports during teletherapy? What are your what are your tips and tricks for this? Yes. So every student is different, obviously. These wouldn't be things you would necessarily implement. For every student, maybe you would implement one thing for one and one for another. But I've used a bunch of different things, visual schedules, token boards, percent boards. And there's a lot of different ways you can incorporate this. You could make your own on like a Word document or Google Slides, and you can decide what tokens you want and what they're working for. Or you give them a choice of 10 things. What do you want to work for today? And that's what you put in. I made a really cute interactive one on Google Slides where the stars kind of go in one at a time in an animated way. And then when they get their reward, it kind of spins around. And my students really love that. But you can do a basic version and it's basically the same thing as having a printed out token board. You're just moving one piece at a time. And then Boom Learning also has a lot of free and paid downloads for this. So you could get visual schedules, you can do those first then boards, the token boards, and there's a bunch of free downloads online for this. But again, you kind of have to do trial and error. And I would say probably try to do the most motivating activity so that you don't necessarily have to have a token board, make the whole activity motivating so that they're not feeling like they need to work for something fun. The whole thing should really be fun. And I know it's harder over teletherapy and easier said than done, but the more fun you can make it, the less likely you're going to have to deal with necessarily those challenging behaviors. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like it gets back to that intrinsic motivation and trying to really harness and really use that to everyone's advantage. I find another thing, I know I've already mentioned cough drop. I'm like cough drop's biggest fan right now. I'm just really, really just attach myself to cough drop, <laughs> but cough drop is super easy too. If anyone hasn't used it before for just like a very easy visual schedule, you can just put it in it's it's free it's really efficient so that's handy too but i feel like a visual schedule like do you use that with most of your kids because i do feel like i should use it more but then i don't know i i still feel weird about using visual schedules during teletherapy i don't know why it just feels different i recently was watching a video um jesse ginsburg i believe her name is a speech therapist and she was talking about whether or not you should implement visual schedules and she was kind of leaning towards not because then your students might be too rigid and you want to promote flexibility. So I think it's kind of a situation by situation basis there, but I don't usually implement the visual schedules on teletherapy because my sessions were shorter and because I felt like my activities were more motivating than they might've been in person. 
I didn't really want it to be, okay, this, then this, then this. I wanted them to kind of just be present in, in the moment. But if you felt like you needed to do something like that, you could also just do a first then. Like first we're going to watch this Mr. Clay video and then we're going to play with a toy or an app or something like that. Again, have the whole activity be motivating, but if you totally, totally need it, then definitely use it if you feel like it could work to your advantage. All right. So I'm going to compile the resources you mentioned and I'll put those in the description of the bio so everyone can just easily access all of the things you shared. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can everyone find you? Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this was great. Uh, you can find me on my website, vibrantspeechtherapy.com or on Instagram at vibrantspeechtherapy. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on and I will see everybody next Monday. Thank you.